0: Now, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Uh, joining me on the phone, as always, it is the indefatigable Alan Niven. Bonjour, Alan. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Good. Good. I'm 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 thrilled. We we've been having a, a good weekend. We recently put up our in excess Andrew Ferris interview, and of course, we're back uh, this time with Ben Wells of the band Blackstone Cherry. They have a new album out called The Human Condition. And this is what I find interesting with this band. They have literally been around for 20 years. So early, you know, 2001, 2002. And yet for many people, they're still kind of like a new band and they're still sort of finding themselves. And um, what do you think of a band that's sort of always been in that... That that second gear. They they they're not arena bands, but they they got a strong following. They've got a cult following. As a manager yourself, or formerly as a manager, what would you do to 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 get them into first gear and get them, you know, into an arena or get them into larger places? How, how do you sort of what's the game plan?
1: Well, there's a couple of ways to look at it, and we were talking. With, um, oh, forgive me, that wonderful guitarist from Jester Hotel. Remind me of his name, please.
0: Martin um, Barr.
1: Martin Barr. What a guy! And I'm sure, and I'm sure it's forgivable that I forget because I'm old and ancient and got big old holes in my head. <laughs> but part of the conversation with Martin was that uh, in talking to him, I pointed out that he reminded me of a period of time in the United Kingdom, where there was a division in how you looked at bands. And there were the commercial bands, the very notable and successful ones. But the ones that were uber-cool and the ones that you really went to different places to go see were, quote-unquote, the underground bands. And part of the... um, Element of the underground band was, um, and of course, you know, I'm sure there was a degree of, of obvious posing at the time, but it was a sense of here's somebody who's into their music for what they say in their artistry, and they're not trying to sell out, and they're not trying to conform, and they're not hitching themselves up to a marketing machine. And I really believe there's a place for that kind of band who's quite happy. Not to be a part of the machine, and not to be a, looking to grasp on 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 the brass ring with calculation and strategy and whatever it takes, but are happy to be themselves, happy to be working, happy happy to have a certain following, and are basically an underground band, and you know that's cool. I mean, you you got to evaluate it. You know, certain bands are determined to climb to the top of their mythological mountain. Of course, when they get to the top of their mountain, they find it doesn't exist and it's a myth. But you don't have to be groping for the brass ring to be a valid band or a valid musician.
0: No, you don't. And and it just it just and by the way I I'm not trying to suggest that Blackstone Cherry is not successful. I mean, they've obviously been around for 20 years so they're doing something right. And listen, they they've had albums that have been at number 28, at number 22, at number 40 in in Billboard's top 100 or or sorry, not the not the Hot 100, the uh Billboard 200 albums chart is what I'm trying to say. So so they do well and you know they do they do the theater tours and they do you know the the twenty five hundred to three thousand kind of cedars and stuff, but it, it's it's pretty really healthy, yeah, absolutely absolutely it but my point was that y you, you know to get to Madison Square Garden to get to Yankee Stadium it, it really is rarefied air, so when you see a Guns N' Roses or you see a Metallica or you see you know Madonna or you too. It really is sometimes very difficult to get to that next, that next echelon, and so um, anyway, the band the band is moving along and, and doing great, and the new album, uh, Human Condition, is really worth checking out. I mean, that's that is really why I decided to do the interview. You know, the label reached out and sent me a, a stream of this, and I was like, okay, well, let me have, it. and I listened to it, and I went, oh. Oh, okay. This is really good. Yeah, I'll, I'll give these guys a shot. You know, I'll, I'll talk about them. Let's, let's, you know, get get let get me Ben. Let's talk with Ben. And so it's it really is worth checking out, and and, and a great band. But uh, there you go. Um, oh, I was going to say one thing. They are from Edmonton, Kentucky, and I was like, there, wait, there's an Edmonton in Kentucky. <laughs> All right, but you darling, know. there's a Paris in Texas. I know, and, and there's five Montreals in
1: France, apparently,
0: so, you know.
1: And isn't there a, isn't there a London in Canada?
0: Yeah, there's a London in Ontario, and you're just like, oh. And there's an Ontario in yeah. California. It's all screwed up, i got to tell you. <laughs> there, there really should be a register, like a copyright thing, where you have one name, and that's it. You can't use it again. You can't be like, hey, I'm in Paris. Uh, Texas. Uh, no, no, you no, there's one. <laughs> Oh, uh, anyway but I uh, I was just going to say when I think Edmonton I think Edmonton Oilers of course from Alberta and hockey and, and we're in this period of no hockey and it's really really hard please come back in NHL you you can't leave us like this this is too much
1: uh, I, I, Well in the inter- in, in the interim you can watch soccer from Europe they're playing the games even though they're playing them in empty stadiums um you
0: know
1: you can I'm see- sad you can not desperate pretty good soccer <laughs> you can see some pretty damn good soccer being played.
0: Yeah, 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 I'm sure. I'm, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, what I was going to say, though, <laughs> is I think there's a conspiracy theory. I, I think that it's, it's, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs who control hockey, as we know, at least in Canada. They're not good enough to win the Stanley Cup, so I think they're they're making sure that there's no... Um, you, you see, you can't lose the Stanley Cup if you actually didn't play for it. So I think it's the Leafs that are preventing hockey from, from happening. It's not a COVID thing. Well, it's a Toronto Maple Leaf the, thing.
1: The, the poor old Toronto Maple Leafs, I think the last documentary made about them was entitled 50 Years of Failure.
0: Oh, they, oh hold on. I, I, actually, there's a website uh, or a Twitter account of called I think the, the the last time the Leafs won the cup or something and they da- they da- they post daily and go it's been 20,000 days since the last it's the greatest twitter handle ever anyway uh, let's get over to people p-
1: pe- yes? people wearing top hats when the Toronto Maple Leafs last won a cup listen
0: uh people were using rotary dial phones <laughs> when they won the cup uh I, did the moon landing occur at that point yet? I'm not even sure. Or was it after the moon It was 67 that they last won, so... Uh, well, I,
1: the moon landing was in 69, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: Ah, that's hilarious.
1: And, and the best point
0: is I was born after 67. I was born in 68, so I have never in my life, even as a toddler had a Toronto Maple Leaf Cup experience. And you know what? Let's keep it that way.
1: Well, how long was it that Chicago went without winning a World Series? Wasn't, oh, wasn't that something like 102 years or something?
0: Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was something like 1908 or something. <laughs> so, good. Yeah. May 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 the Maple Leafs enjoy the same success as the Cubs did for the same amount of years because I will ha- be dead by then, which means I will have never seen a Stanley Cup championship in Toronto, which means I will have died happy. So uh, <laughs> uh, has no- so Speaking of the human condition, that will be my human condition: happy. Uh, let us get over to uh, Ben Wells of. Blackstone Cherry, take it away, Ben. We're speaking with Ben Wells of Blackstone Cherry. The new album is called "The Human Condition." As we say here in Montreal, Ben, bonjour. How are you? Comment allez-vous? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, you know the band's been around, going on almost twenty years, and I've always watched the band's videos on YouTube and stuff, and I've always loved it. But uh, the record company sent me "The Human Condition" to check out before this uh, this interview, and I put it on. Uh, you know, n- no no preconceived notion of whether I'm going to love it or hate it, and I just put it on, and I, it, it was it was amazing. I, I mean, the, I I got through the entire first song, and then I got to the, the second song of. You have made an absolute masterpiece, and I just wanted to say that straight off the front. I mean, this thing is brilliant. Um, so, congrats! Thank I you love so it so much. Yeah, thank it's...
2: you. I really, really appreciate those, those words. I mean, we are very proud of this record, um, and you know, to be to release something um, in such a turbulent year, like we've all experienced, to. to to hear people that have early that have early listened to it say uh, that they just absolutely love it. it. It really does our heart a lot of good to hear something like that. So thank
0: you. Well, you're welcome. And, and I'm telling you, when when 2020 is over, and we finish talking about COVID and all that, and we start talking about the best, you know, football plays and the best hockey plays and the best albums and the best movies and the best this, I'm I'm telling you, a lot of rock reporters are going to have this on their top ten list, and I'm telling you, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in the top five for many guys. I mean, th- this is a this is a solid album throughout. There is no clunker, you know. There's no like, oh well, we have eight great songs and a couple of filler. There's no filler. Um, so so let's start thank with thank that. You. Let's start with that. I mean, you, you did a couple of um, blues EPs, you know, sort of a tribute to the guys, and 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 your sound uh, changed a little bit here and there. But talk to me about going into this one. What was sort of the marching orders? What What were you sort of thinking in terms of, we got to make this kind of album? What What was sort of those conversations like before you went in? What What was sort of the, the point or, or the purpose?
1: I think we all just, uh,
2: I mean, you know, we've been on tour um, the majority of last year. Up until the end of last year, we were still touring um and uh, I finished a great tour with Alice Cooper overseas, and that really kind of, you know, uh, rejuvenated us in a way because that was towards the end of the Family Tree album cycle. And Usually, sometimes by the end of an album cycle, touring-wise, you know, you can get kind of burned out pretty easy, but that was a really big rejuvenation for us. Then we came home, and we did another tour. Um, started in Iowa, ended out in went out to California, and then came back, and we ended in our home state of Kentucky. And that was really nice to do. Um, And we were just talking, you know, while we were touring and we were uh, listening to some old demos and riding around and discussing, okay, you know, the top of 2020, we're going to be going in the studio. So what do we, what do we do? And while we never really try to, you know, um, preconceive the album, um, you know, we never want to like sit down and make it a uh, calculated thing because that'll take the, the, inspiration out of it once you get in the studio you know you just kind of want to let it be what it what it needs to be um but we did say we wanted to make a a big loud heavy rock record um and not sacrifice melody of course and some of the ballads because we love that kind of stuff as well but we knew we wanted it to be just uh you know a little snapshot of some of our best pieces of all of our albums put together um, and that's what we did when we were off to the races, and then everybody was kind of on the same page just phonically um, with how we wanted it to sound, all of the tones, and uh, it came out, and that, we're just super proud of it.
0: Well, you should be. I mean, I've heard it. It's great. Uh, quickly, you mentioned touring with Alice Cooper, which, as an Alice Cooper fan, i got to say, that's got to be pretty cool for you, but Blackstone Cherry is is... Not a band that is going to be a top 10 Billboard 100 band. You're not a singles band in a sense. So touring is incredibly important for what you do. At least that's my perception. This year has been an incredible cluster. You know, What does it do for you as a band, and, and, and I'll even ask you as a business, as a brand, to not be able to tour the way that you want to, the way that you are used to, the way that you need to to support a new album?
2: uh it's challenging i mean um to say the least i mean you know it was a big shock coming to the obviously to not only the world um fans and everyone but to the industry it's like everybody's trying to figure out okay well how do we do this i think in the beginning everybody was uh you know even even though um we all everybody respected what was going on in the world with the pandemic you know and um, everybody kind of played ball for a while, but now I think everybody's kind of going. Okay, how do we get back to work? You know, we can't just we can't just continue just to completely stop. You know, um, and so there's been some other venues like we just played a show uh on Friday night in our hometown, a socially distanced outdoor show. It was absolutely perfect. Um, they they went by all the guidelines per the health department. And, We've got a couple more of those coming up before the end of the year, and I'm really happy to see certain states and certain concert venues um, that have the room to allow to socially distant are, you know, putting on shows. They're being progressive and figuring it out because they understand, too. They have to figure out ways to bring live music back, and, you know, we're just we're happy to be a part of it because we've kind of stopped long enough, and like I said, while we totally respect the, the, the pandemic, it's like we've got to figure out ways around this, you know?
0: Well, okay, so let me ask you about that and how you figure it out, because uh, there have been bands playing. Some have done it very uh, well, socially distanced, the whole thing, like yourselves, like Buck Cherry and others. And then there are others, and I'm not going to start naming names, but they've been playing to crowds and people are jammed in like sardines. Uh, What what can you do if you're in a situation like that? Do, Do you refuse to play? Do you just play? And And at some point, how how do you get on the road and have these socially distanced? Because if we're not selling full cap or max cap tickets and we have to do, you know, 25%, how does it become affordable for a promoter to have you win and how does it become affordable for you to show up? So so, so what are some of the ways that you have to sort of navigate to be able to maintain uh, the band?
2: I think, um, you know, you just have to kind of be... Smart and, and you know, the thing is, so some of these venues that are doing um, the half capacities, even though it might be half capacity, uh, they're selling either like a a, a table or a pod. um, And that price is probably higher than it would be a normal ticket, you know, because it's you're selling a group of tickets. Um, So they're having, you know, they're probably the ticket price might be a little higher than normal um, to come to a show because they still have to make up some back end. You know, because, um, yeah, there'd be no way possible for them to be able to charge low ticket prices and have only 50 percent of the people and still try to pay a band their guarantee. You know, and it, it just wouldn't work. So uh, there's a little give and take there. And then uh, but as far as like, uh, you know, other bands go, you know, we rely on, you know, merchandise sales and a lot of bands are putting out or doing the live stream concerts, which are cool. And we have one of those coming up on Friday. Um, and you know, everybody's just trying to figure it out. You know, and but they're trying to figure it out. You know, safely and and you know, whatever the the right way to do it is. But I'm glad it's starting to happen. I'm glad the live music is, is peeking its head back out because, you know, people just need it. You know, people just they need entertainment and something to look forward to.
0: I fully agree. Now, now let's get away from from the politically charged questions right because we don't that's not what we're here for we're we're here to to celebrate music the the album the human condition was produced by the band the last few albums have been produced by the band talk to me about that because you've worked with other guys what was that you know that decision i guess when i guess kentucky's the first one you produce for yourself Uh, talk to me about the decision to say hey Yeah." yeah talk to me about that decision to say you know what we're done with outside ears. We know who we are. We know what we sound like. We know what we want to sound like. Um, what are sort of the positives of taking over the reins and some of the negatives? I've, I've always felt that outside ears sometimes lend perspective, but talk to me about producing your own albums.
2: Well, for us, we've worked with excellent producers, and we have learned a lot of things, but the unique thing about our, our band is that even when we're in the studio with producers, the four of us are so hands-on and involved, you know? Some bands can hire a producer and they turn it all over to them and they just rely on the producer to make the calls and to, you know, come up with a lot of ideas and stuff. And we were kind of finding ourselves doing a lot of that, you know? I mean, with them, of course. Um, But I think it came to a certain point, once we signed on with the mascot label group who we're with now, um, you know, when we signed a deal with them, we said, look, we want to keep creative control. We don't want to be A&R'd. We don't want to, if we want to work with a producer, we will. If we want to write with songwriters, we will. But we don't want to be forced into doing anything like that because, you know, we are comfortable in the, in the, you know, with what we are as a band. And there's no sense, especially in today's world, to pay, you know, a ton of money to a producer and then have them fly in here or us fly out to California or Nashville or wherever they may be and, and work with somebody when we feel like, uh, you know, we can create the same content, you know? Um, so lucky for us, our bass player, John built an excellent studio, uh, out in the middle of nowhere here. Um, and he spared no expense with microphones and acoustically treated wood. I mean, it's just, in, it's incredible. And, uh, so we're lucky to have that, but I will say, with self-producing comes a big responsibility and some pressure. And, uh, once we got in the studio, especially on this album, I think especially on this album, we, um, uh, really, really turned up the, the, the heat to make sure everybody, you know, performed the absolute best they could, you know, I mean, we would, uh, you know, sometimes you can get, it's easy you're know, self-producing, you might, you might can slide something under the rug, but, uh, with this album we were like nothing gets by, you know, no no stone is unturned, no idea left off the table and everybody's gonna be pushed, you know, beyond their limits to get the best performance. And, you know, you have to do that. And it's all out of love for each other because we all want the best you know, we all we all want the best product, the best outcome. We're all on the same team. So, you know, um it was quite the experience, but we loved doing it and we just loved kind of being left alone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, being left alone is great. Now there's four guys in the band, and and so, in terms of production, is, is there one guy that takes the lead, and and when the drummer says he has an idea, do you sort of just ignore it and go, "Dude, you're the drummer," or no, I'm kidding, I'm, I'm joking. No, 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 but but
2: for us, honestly, I think you know, Chris and John are probably the two that are the more. Uh, Studio equipped, meaning like you know, they're both really into uh, Pro Tools and microphones and all that kind of stuff like that. Um, but when it comes to you know, the production of the album parts, melodies, guitars, and we're all you know we're all doing it together. You know, um, uh, we might have an idea for a drum beat for John Furman. Hey man, go try this. And he might have a melody or a guitar line for me or Chris or a bass line. You know, uh, you know, just because you know. I'm a guitar player, you know. You know, we we don't leave any that we don't have any rules like that, you know. It's like we're all four equals. So, like if I've got a drum beat, I'll be like, Hey John let me get behind your drum set and show you this really quick, try this and he's like, Absolutely. You know, like again, we all you we know, we're all brothers, we all grew up together and we all want the same uh, same thing at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, which is great. Now, you, you have worked with Howard Benson in the past, uh, nominated for uh, Producer of the Year Grammys, and he's worked with everybody from Canadians, A Theory of a Dead Man, Seether, Hoobastank, uh, Crazy Town, uh, P.O.D. Um, talk to me about working with him, and, and what does somebody like Howard teach a band? Because he, he got you when you were young. I mean, I don't I don't want to say you were rookies at that point, but you were still fresh. Uh, what did he bring to the table and moving forward in in making your own albums? Do you look at what he does and goes, this is great or you go, wow, we definitely don't want to go, you know, how, how how was it working with Howard?
2: Um, Howard was a, I mean, Howard, yes, he's a, I mean, he's a legendary producer and he's a very, very smart person, especially when it comes to vocals and melody and stuff. Um, We had a good, we had a good time working with him. It was a different experience than what we had been used to um, because he's got, you know, a team of guys that he works with that, um, you know it's really I mean it's respectively. it's like a it's like a factory assembly you know what I mean like assembly line it's like you know you do this uh, with the guitars with this guy and then it moves over to this and then the guy's editing drums over here and then Howard comes in and does the vocals and it, it, they really have their system down pat uh, but you know for a lot of bands that works you know and we really had a, a, you know it was a fun experience working with Howard but uh, you know a little different than what we're normally used to you know Um, But we were able to learn a lot from him as well, you know, and but we just like with each producer we've worked with, we have just like to take up little pieces we liked about them and and then just, you know, use them and to our method of recording.
0: Yeah, you know, I I do find that that sometimes some of the bigger producers really have a formula and. Listen, when you're when you're talking about Mutt Lang, you go, yeah, okay, the formula seems to work, but sometimes formulas is, is just right. formula, and this is like, yeah, come on, this this has got to be real. This has got to be earthy and kind of stuff. Um the band itself has has maintained a release schedule give or take every two years, uh, and, I'm, and I'm casting the uh, the EPs aside for, the, for this conversation, but, you know, it's 2006, it's 2008, it's 2011, it's two... Like, you've been really regimented about sort of that two-year cycle. Um, talk to me about sort of the importance of, you know, playing out live, but also having new music coming out in, in a somewhat regular basis where the fans go, ah, I know next year, I got a new album. Uh, Talk to me about that and and maintaining that. And can you maintain that forever? Or do you say, okay, we've done six, seven albums. Now we can sort of get the foot off the gas pedal and Human Condition has a four-year cycle.
2: I mean, we always try to, you know, yes, we do try to hit that mark every two years, put out something new. And in between, we'll put out, you know, we've been doing the EPs now. And, you know, I think our thing is, in the current landscape, you know, people just need content all the time. You know, and I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, we all love when something new comes out. There's nothing better than feeling, look forward to something happening uh, that you that you want. Um, and you know, back in the old days, if you look back, I mean, hell, Jimi Hendrix put out two albums a year sometimes. You know, it's like uh, people. In a way, it's kind of going back to that where people just you know you put out more albums or EPs or whatever. And, um, I think it, people just need content instantly. You know, and that's the way. They get it on their phone instantly and they just need to be instant gratified and with us it's like we want to continue to to stay relevant and and keep ourselves fresh you know because there's a certain degree of of overdoing it we don't want to over you know ourselves and keep putting up too much stuff or you know too soon together uh to where people get burned out on us but also we don't want to uh you know out of sight out of mind type thing we don't want to do that so um as far as the touring goes off an album that all depends i mean on what opportunities are there and uh you know um, we've toured two and a half years on an album some some albums we tour a year and a half on or you know it just depends on uh what's out there you know and and what's going on but with human condition it will be a little different because you know we're not you know we're not out on the road right now supporting it like we normally it would be but um so the touring cycle will pick up at a later time. So I'm not sure how it's going to pan out now, but I'm sure we'll still be putting out music regularly
0: regardless. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Now, uh, I do want to talk about about the touring and the, and the early uh, beginnings of the band. You, you have, of course, gone out on the road with some of the greatest bands from the 80s, the Def Leopards, the White Snakes. Uh, I'll even throw in Alice Cooper, even though he's more 70s. But then you've also done um, Airborne. You've done Theory of a Dead Man. You've done Nickelback does do you have any thought in terms of brand association going into hey if we get lumped in with these 80s guys fans will think of us as an old band or is that it's like is that is that way over thought you just play because you love to play
2: yeah i think we just play because we love to play i mean you know i mean yes there might i mean you it's all about you know uh visual appearance to a degree you know what i mean and you, we don't want to go up there and and play or open for a group that you know, you know, to our fans might be like, wow, that seems odd, or you know, um, that's kind of different. But you know, at the end of the day, making fans is making fans. So if we can go out there and play. We love playing with different types of groups, and especially you know, somebody like Def Leppard, you know, White Snake, those iconic, legendary bands. So it's like uh, we're never going to turn that down. You know, uh, I think it's all about, but it is about being smart, and figuring out, okay, what's the best look. You know, you can't just take everything that comes at you. You gotta be strategic about it.
0: You do, and that's why when you go out with Shine Down or Hailstorm, you go, ah, it makes sense. Ah, uh, let me ask you about about the beginnings of the band. So you you start off in the early 2000s, and of course, at that time, rock music was certainly not in vogue. It was certainly not appreciated. It was all about you know big beats and 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 hip hop and and you know top of the charts was very different. Um, talk to me about establishing a band in that environment what was the beginning difficult for you did record companies look at you and just go dude you're 40 years too late or 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 was there an excitement that here's this band that's young and hungry and creating their own sound um what was that like at first to get notice a a major uphill battle or good music's good music and it'll speak Uh, maybe a little bit of both
2: i mean you know, I think you know in the early days, especially we would we would play any and every venue. Even if we had to make up a, a venue or turn a restaurant into a venue, we would do it. You know, we were just hungry to get out there and play. You know, it wasn't about making money; it was about making fans and, and continuing to play and just get exposure. Um, and I, in around two thousand four or five-ish, when we started to do some showcases and started to talk to some more labels, yeah. Um, you know people would joke and say, man, we wish there was a Capricorn record still around out of Georgia. Cause you guys would have been great on that. You know, of course, Capricorn was they signed son, all my brothers and had the total Southern rock movement, you know, and people would say, yeah, man, this this would be great. if it was 19, you know, if it was 1974, man, you guys would have been hitting your stride, you know? And we, we took that honestly as a compliment. Like we didn't really get this, too discouraged about that because music always goes in cycles. Um, but also, I think labels see um, that if you're hungry and you're and you're eager to get out there and do it and, and you know work and work and you know I think they appreciate that work ethic too. And um, so you know I wouldn't say it was totally. Uh, I mean, we did definitely have our uh, our you know, turn downs and things and people going, ah, oh, I'm gonna pass or ah, oh, it sounds too much like that or sounds too southern, too bluesy, too this, whatever. Because you know our genre even though we're rooted in rock and roll, we go so many different places. Um, so some labels want to kind of pinpoint you into being just one thing. And we couldn't do that. But, you know, we were believers in ourselves and we uh, we found a uh, a nice home now. And, and, you know, now bands can go out and just record their music themselves and put it out independently. So, you know, the label, while it's still a very big and important thing, um, bands are figuring out ways to do it around that. I think that's that's kind of cool.
0: It is well, and, and you mentioned that labels are, are still kind of an important thing. What purpose do they serve at this point? Because you you look at Spotify and you look at the streaming services, and I just looked at the Universal Music Group last quarter, and they made a billion dollars on streams. And I'm thinking Black Black you know uh, Blackstone Cherry didn't make a billion dollars on streams. So, uh, do right. they help the artist at this point, or or is, are they sort of somewhat self serving where they take your Creation, your creative spark, throw it up there and cash it in, and then they go, "Hey, boys, love you, but <laughs> we got we got investors to right. please. Um, do they serve a purpose, really? I
2: think I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think they do. There is good and bad about labels. You know, labels have a lot of uh, network and outlets that um, you know we normally wouldn't have. You and I might not even be talking right now, you know, if it wasn't for somebody to label to put this this interview together which that, that that's, that's a good thing they have a lot of creative out they have a lot of creative outlets that uh, are able to to get some things done uh distribution and things like that things that you know the normal person that plays music doesn't want to have to mess with you know what i mean <laughs> it's just that's the business side of it if you get too caught up in the business side it can drain you very quickly um so that is a good thing the label is for now granted uh i think it's all about what kind of deal you make too and that's what we tell a lot of bands that um might be looking at record deals or whatnot i'm like man you know i'm not one to give you a ton of great advice on any, anything especially you know music business wise i said but you know um uh, just because we're all still learning i said but you know sign just don't be too eager to sign a deal that you're going to regret later you know don't sign the 360 deal you know sign this kind of deal just you know be smart about it you know um and i think that you know as long as you can sign be smart about it and sign a good deal that works in both favor uh then sure otherwise you know put it out yourself and and uh fingers crossed be your own label
0: yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, correct me on on the on the understanding of three hundred and sixty deal. The three hundred and sixty deal is essentially where they take a little bit of everything. They take your merch sales. They take your streaming sales. They take your right. I mean three 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 sixties, They they take a little bit of everything on that planet. Right on planet Blackstone mm-hmm. Chair. Wow, what a what yeah, a joy so there that.
2: To be a joke and there was a joke back in the day that said you know if you have a yard sale, record label is going to take a percentage of that too. You know, um, it's just because. They were figuring, they were finding out that records weren't selling anymore, so they were taking money from the bands any way they could, which is insane, but um, I don't know if those are still prevalent now. I hope they're not as big as they once were, but yeah, they were taking a part of your merchandise, a part of your touring, a part of every single thing you made, their record label got a piece of. And uh, thankfully, we're not involved in that because anymore. We used to be at one time, but we got out of it, which is great, but I don't know if they're still signing bands like that or not, but... Uh, you know it
0: wouldn't surprise me well i know of a couple of labels that still do that i was having a, a chat and i'm, I'm going to keep away from names cuz i don't need to get anybody in trouble but i was talking to a to a drummer on a major band who signed to one of these labels um out of europe and they were like man they take 30% of this and they take 30% of that and i'm like wow really in 2020 they're taking 30% of your t-shirts really Yeah, which which which
2: which,
0: which shocked the heck out of me. But he but he's like, yeah, but the upfront money is great. It's like, yeah, but (laughs) anyway. uh, So let me just end on this then. In in terms of merchandising, because you've had great T-shirts, great logos, great great stuff. I've seen them at shows. I've seen them at shows here in Montreal, where you know you're 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 whatever. You're at a Metallica show and you see a guy walking around with a a BSC a T-shirt on. You go, wow, okay, great. How important is the whole merchandising thing to you? Is that really sort of where the band comes into their money? Because record sales, you know, with the streaming, and the, it's not 1975 anymore. So is it really getting that kit to put on that T-shirt that really is important to you? Financially, I'm well, talking. Oh,
2: for sure. Merchandise is, mer- merchandise is huge. And really, it always has been. And merchandise has always been king, uh, in my opinion, you know. Um, so, I mean... You know, it's it's one thing to have your. You want to have people be become walking advertisements for you. Wear your t-shirts, and they're and all of a sudden they're billboards, and people look. You know, and you know people might see at my show and go, "Oh, I like that shirt. I'm gonna get online see so if I can order me that same shirt." You know, or go to the show and get one. But uh, yeah, you are. There is are, more room there to make more money on merchandise, and uh, you know, lucky for us, we we own our own merchandise, which is really good. And you know, a lot of bands are taking control of that now too, because you can be. Super creative and come up with really cool unique items and uh you know as long as you can uh you know own your own merch and not have to pay it out to a ton of different people and blah blah and yeah I mean you can it can be really good you it's know the greatest um, thing
0: yeah um, so, it really is yeah and and I'm just gonna uh, i'm gonna encourage fans by the way when you are picking up band merch, whether it's uh, Blackstone cherry or kiss or whoever, go to the official sites I, I know when you're on Facebook there's all kinds of like bootleg sites that pop up. Don't do that. Support the bands. Go to their official sites or their shows. Those are the only two places where you should be buying merch from. Otherwise, don't touch it. Right? I mean, that's 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 sort right. of the the smart right. thing to Thank do. You.
2: Well, uh, yeah. You know, and also they're getting it official too. Some that bootleg merch is going to be you're going to wash it like one time and it's going to wear off. So you don't even want to you know, it might be cheaper up front, but it's just you might as well throw that money out the window because the, the bootleg stuff is terrible.
0: But you know what else is, is a problem with the uh, the bootleg stuff? And I actually had this conversation with Gene Simmons uh, years ago. It's you buy a Blackstone Cherry shirt from the, the Facebook pop-up that shows up in your feed. And like you say, you wash it once and it disappears. Guess who the fan becomes mad at? They go, oh, fucking Blackstone Cherry sells crap. Fucking band. They ripped me off. Right. And it's just like no they didn't you know so right exactly and you can't have that because now you've got a whole bunch of people pissed at you for having done nothing wrong and so no no stick to the official sites folks and while you're there buy the human condition stream it if you want but also buy a physical copy it's nice to not just own air I'm just going to say that cuz I'm old well um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much I appreciate you saying that I, I I agree yeah. As, and, and on that, uh, thank you, sir. Always a, a great pleasure. Actually, this is the first time we've ever chatted. A great pleasure and uh, continued success. And folks, The Human Condition is going to be on writers and reporters top 10 this year. So don't wait for somebody to tell you it's good. Just go out, experience it, buy it. Well, in fact, I'm telling you, go, go check it out. So go check it out. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, great pleasure. Merci.
2: Thank you so much. Appreciate you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you. All right, let me stop.